Why does God give commands at all? How can apologetics help you in your daily life? And if we have time, Hayden's two-point life philosophy. My name is Hayden Clark, and this is Help Me Believe. So the first topic of today's podcast is why does God give commands? But before we dive into that, I want to give our patron shout-out of the week to Rodinia. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Thanks so much for your support. And if you're listening, you too can have your name shouted out here on the podcast. All you got to do is go over to our Patreon link in the description and become a supporter of our ministry for as little as a dollar a month. Get all sorts of benefits over at the uh, Patreon website on our, our our Patreon page over there. Uh, you get access to forums and uh, extra videos and stuff that I do with my interviewees. There's a bonus segment, five more minutes with our interviewees that you can get access to when you become a supporter. So there's plenty of stuff over there. Become a supporter of our ministry. Help us keep doing this. We greatly appreciate it. Now, why does God give commands? Now, the question, uh, first of all, assumes a few things. That Number one, there is a reason. So whenever uh, people ask about um, a Christian ethic or morality, and we, we, we give examples in the Bible of where God says, you know, you ought not do this or you ought do this, probably you think of the Ten Commandments. Don't murder, don't steal, uh, don't commit adultery, these sort of things. And we, we, we often have the tendency to think that uh, uh, we think of God... Um, in this caricature kind of way that God is uh, a big man in the sky who barks down orders upon his uh, uh, subje- subjects to that, you know, God's just this tyrant in the sky that wants us to obey his commands simply because. And the illustration I often give is that of a parent who says, go clean your room. And the kid immediately says, why, you know, why, or it doesn't have to be clean your room, whatever, go do the dishes, why. And sometimes, you know, parents just get lazy and, and you don't always want to explain yourself to a child. Um, that's perfectly understandable. And you might just say, well, because I said so. Um, but that that isn't how God operates, even though we, we sometimes either think that he does or we, re- we, de- we definitely sometimes represent him that way when questioned by skeptics as to why does your religion have this r- rule or commandment or whatever. You sometimes say, well, uh, you know, that's just what God says. But really, that's not how God uh, represents himself in the scriptures. And this understanding of, of God being giving commands just simply because, like, as if, uh, if morality is just grounded in the fact that God chose these to be uh, the commands, just simply because God said so. Well, th- there's two problems, and I just alluded to one, but let me back up. Number one, it kind of gives the impression that God is just bored that God just barks down these commands. He, he, to say that God gives commands because he can uh, gives me the impression or seems to imply that God is just bored and he's wanting something to do, therefore he gives commands. But God is obviously n- not bored and this is not going to be a satisfactory answer as to why he would give commands because he's wholly satisfied in himself. Within himself, God has complete satisfaction. Uh, he's all-loving. Um, he has communion between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He doesn't need humanity, and he certainly doesn't need to give commands to humanity. And, and, and secondly, it gives the impression that God's commands are arbitrary, meaning if God had said, you should murder, then it would now be morally good to do such a thing. Um, 
so when you say God gives commands simply because he's God, or we should obey, obey God's commands simply because he's God, um, it gives the impression that God is arbitrary. <clears throat> but of course this is, is, is false, it's obvious. So it, it stands to reason that God's commands stand in need of a reason. And when we look to the scripture for these things, the testimony of scripture is uh, seems pretty clear to me that God gives commands because he is omniscient. He knows. He knows everything, but he also knows what is best for humanity. So it's not as if God is giving commands um you know, just out there in the ether in general. He's giving commands to humanity. That's, the Ten Commandments are directed to humanity, to humans. And this is because God knows what is best for humanity. In other words, to use the Aristotelian language or Thomistic language, God knows uh, what set of actions is going to lead to uh, human flourishing. That, and, and this simply is what morality is. When we say something is good, we mean that it is good for humanity, um, whenever we're talking about uh, morality. And so an, an action is, is good if it leads to human flourishing. And so God gives commands about how we should act, and he does so because he knows that if you do these things, they will lead to human flourishing. He says explicitly so in the Old Testament. He tells the Israelites, when you enter the promised land, if you obey my law, if you obey the commands, it will go well for you. That's in Deuteronomy 6. He says so in the New Testament. As I said before, the, the whole testimony of Scripture is clear from Old Testament to New Testament. In the New Testament, we, we find this in Romans 8.28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If you love God, if you obey God... Um, he will work all things for good for you. God knows what is good. He knows what is good for you. He knows what's good for me. He gives. He knows what's good for humanity. He gives these commands, not because he's arbitrary or, or because he's some tyrant in the sky or whatever. He gives commands because he knows what is best for us. And if we obey him and love him, he promises to work all things for the good of those who love him. Now I want to address three different ways that apologetics has benefited me, and I think it can benefit you as well. But first, I want to make you aware of some uh, resources here to help me help me believe. Of course, we have this podcast that you're listening to, so be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. And we also have the blog at helpmebelieveblog.com, uh, where you can keep up with not only my personal blog, but I... Um, Every day I try to either write a blog myself or post somebody else's blog and leave a link there with a brief description of what uh, their post is about so that I can always be bringing uh, you, the audience, some apologetics and theological material. So you can subscribe over there as well and get that in your email. And uh, also, of course, we have the YouTube channel. If you're watching on YouTube, you already know this, but we have the YouTube channel and, of course, all the social media links. But uh, I really want to make you aware of uh, our Amazon page. I write these short booklets thus far. I'm going to start working on some longer material now, but you can get free books over at our Amazon page. And of course, there's a link in the description as well. Now, I want to talk about three ways apologetics has helped me, as I said, and I believe it can also help you. But uh, real quickly, when I was in seminary, I had a crisis of faith. Um, and so it turns out this isn't as uncommon as I first thought. Like, I'm in seminary, and in fact, I'm a minister. And I'm having these doubts about God, about the, not just, you know, 
uh, trivial things. I mean, like, does God exist? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Is the Bible God's word? And this is really how I've stumbled across apologetics. I call it apologetics by necessity, and it seems that this is how most people uh, found apologetics or got into apologetics, however you want to word that, is that they had a, a crisis of faith, and rather than walk away from their faith, or maybe they did walk away from their faith, they decided, like myself, I've got to investigate these things because I don't think I can really go on any further until I get some actual answers, because the answer, just have more faith, isn't going to cut it anymore. I can't just muster up blind faith and, and, and get on with it. I've got to have some answers. So that's what I did. And admittedly, uh, before seminary, I'd, I'd never thought that critically about my faith. And, and uh, don't get me wrong, we should think critically about our faith, and seminary is the perfect place to do that. Um, but as you can tell, apologetics has never left me. Um, still here, still doing it. And I've got a stronger faith now than I did before I ever had these doubts. And so that's not braggadocious. That's just the way things have turned out. And it's kind of counterintuitive to think that my doubts, in, in effect, lended a hand in getting me to where I am today, which is a, a stronger faith. But that's exactly how God operates. And I, I say this all the time. God, uh, we just read the verse in Romans 8.28. God works all things for the good of those who love him. So you stay dedicated to God, and, 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 and he will bring you through and provide you with answers where there are answers and and that sort of thing. But three ways that apologetics has helped me, and, and I think that it can help you. Number one, doubt doesn't scare me. I'm perfectly fine with having my faith challenged, but either by uh, critics or by myself. Um, I, I no longer feel the need to retreat into the corner of just having faith or just mustering up, mustering up uh, blind faith and getting on with it. Um, I have examined my faith inside out and, and listened to critics uh, explain their objections themselves, whether in books or on, on YouTube or, or on debates and things like that. And to this day, I have not heard a smoking gun argument against Christianity. But if you think you've got one, by all means, leave a comment. So apologetics has helped me deal with doubt. Uh, I don't freak out whenever I hear an objection that I've never heard before. Um, I say, this is a, that's a good objection. I haven't heard any objections up to this point that have caused me to walk away from Christianity. Therefore, I'm not going to freak out and just immediately walk away from my faith right now. I'm going to take some time to look at this. In other words, I'm going to doubt my doubts. So doubt doesn't scare me. And I think, you know, if you have the tendency to uh, retreat back to this corner of, when you hear an objection, you just respond with, I just have faith or whatever. I think apologetics can help you actually find uh, real answers and, and you'll no longer, no longer have to fear doubt or fear objections like that. Secondly, I can meet uh, uh, skeptics right where they are. So one of the things I love most about Jesus is that he meets people right where they are. Now he doesn't, um, and I mean he meets them in their sin, he meets them in their current condition, and he doesn't want to leave anybody there. I mean, he doesn't want to leave us just living in this awful lifestyle, this awful sinful, uh, awful lifestyle of sin. But he does, he's perfectly content with meeting people right where they are. And, and sometimes I feel like in, in Christian circles we, tend, we can kind of uh, push the skeptics away. Um, and we create these mischaracterizations of atheists and kind of put them in this box over there, but uh, apologetics has really um, 
helped me to sympathize, I suppose, with, with the atheists. And I'm, and I'm not saying, I'm not ceding anything to them. I'm just saying I do see where they're, they're coming from. I myself have had those doubts, and I've wrestled through them, and um, you know, obviously ultimately still hold to my faith. But thirdly, I've, I find it easier to practice spiritual uh, disciplines, and this perhaps may be the biggest one. So let's just think of some spiritual disciplines and how apologetics can help uh, in these areas. Prayer. So prayer is communication with God. Uh, Whatever else it is, it's at least that. Now I think if we were honest, prayer is something that most Christians struggle with. I I do. I know that I do. I do pray, probably not as often as I I should, or not as well as I should, if that's even a thing. Um, But but anyway, it's, it's a struggle for a lot of Christians. And the way that I can see apologetics helping in this area is if it would be hard or difficult to pray to a God, a God that you can't see, a God that you can't feel, a God that you can't hear, you know, unless God's speaking audibly to you. He's not to me. And I can see why it would be easy to not pray. And that's just full disclosure and being completely vulnerable and honest here. I can see, I get it. Why it would be difficult to pray? You can't see God. You can't hear Him. Um, he doesn't say anything back audibly, anyway. Obviously, God does speak to us through His Word. Don't go at me. But nonetheless, I'm just saying I I I understand why it would be difficult. But through apologetics, we we look at the reasons for God's existence, and as you examine the reasons for God, it becomes abundantly clear why God is that way, that God is non-physical, so you're not going to see him or hear him uh, in that kind of a manner. He can do that, um, and he has. But but it becomes clear as you examine the arguments for the existence of God, you better understand God's nature, you better understand why things are this way, and of course you're, you're more convinced that he does actually exist, and therefore you can pray to him and know that he hears you. Secondly is Bible study. In similar fashion, understanding or examining the reasons as to how we can know that the Bible is God's Word or how we can know that the Bible is trustworthy obviously will lend a hand in motivating us to study the Bible. So, some some Christians may not study the Bible because they're unsure of how accurate it is. I mean, it was written a long time ago. How could that possibly still apply to me? But as, we, as you do apologetics about uh, the trustworthiness and the nature of the Bible— it becomes clear to you that the Bible is actually God's word, and it can be trusted, and and therefore it, it it is the it is part of God's eternal law, and is applicable to all people of all times. Thirdly, is evangelism, and it has a lot to do with what I said earlier. But uh, Jesus obviously has commissioned the church to go and make disciples of all nations, and as we do so, we're going to run into people that either have questions. Or are um, you know actively um, skeptical and uh, ob- ob- objecting to our Christian beliefs as we try to share them uh, with them, and so obviously apologetics will help in evangelism. And in fact, in the New Testament, it's really hard to separate apologetics and evangelism; they really go hand in hand. And so th- these are three ways that apologetics has helped me, and I think that they can help you as well. Okay, so we have time for my two-point philosophy on life, and this is really satirical, so don't take it too literal. One, you are going to spend a third of your life at work. That's eight hours a day. Now, 
if you're going to spend this much time at the same place every day or whatever, you really, really ought to make sure that it is a place that you want to be at or that you look forward to being. So that means, at least, as far as I can tell, one of two things. You either need to change your perspective on that place or you need to find a new place. All right, so if you live in the United States or in a free market society, that means in order to have a successful business, you have to offer something of value uh, to the to the larger culture, to the population. And so that means if you work at a successful business and the fact that you're working there, that they hired you means that it is successful, then it does offer something of value. And so there is value in what you're doing. You just may need to change your perspective on that. So that that is one option. Option two is that um, you're working at a place that does offer value, but it still doesn't bring any meaning to you or value to your life. So you need to find a way to do something else that does bring you meaning or value. I mean, that's as simple as that. You're going to spend a third of your life doing this at least. So you really ought to find a job or a vocation that you find meaning in. And I had a, a college professor tell me this one time. She said, um, your, your vocation lies somewhere between the world's needs and your desires. What do you like or enjoy doing? For example, right here, I enjoy doing this. There seems to be a want for it in the external world. And so I do this and like a followers or whatever, but I have a, a day job. So I actually enjoy my day job and don't have any intentions of, a, of quitting. But if I didn't, then I could start doing this, you know, on the side and then maybe turn it into something full-time or something like that. That That's kind of the path to getting from where you are to where you want to be. Start doing it part-time and then, you know, gradually work your way over there. You don't have to just quit. I'm not saying quit your job and go find something you like to do. That could be dangerous. You got bills to pay. Don't do that. Uh, so there's, there's ways of doing this. If you live in the United States, there's no better time to do this. Number one, you're free. Number two, you have, if you have access to a laptop, you can do it. So, that's my two-point philosophy. That's point number one of the two-point philosophy. Number two is is quite less philosophical. It is you spend a third of your life sleeping. So two-thirds of your life you spend sleeping or at work. So buy a mattress that you enjoy. It's as simple as that. This past week, I bought a new mattress. Freaking love it. Been sleeping like a baby. Me and my wife love it. It's doing good. I'm not sinking to the middle anymore like this, not waking up with a crick in my back or whatever. It's going good. A good night's sleep could change your life. If you can't afford to get a new mattress, you probably can. They're not that expensive. And there's payment plans. Then at least focus on getting your eight hours of sleep because that too will change your life. That's my two-point philosophy on life. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, if you enjoyed the episode, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe, and become a supporter of our ministry by following the link in the description below over to our Patreon page. Thanks so much for uh, joining us, guys, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>